Turn with me tonight to the book of Psalms, Psalm 49, and let's read together the word of God. Psalm 49. Reading, of course, from the authorized version. Psalm 49. As the Bible exhorts us to give attention to reading. The reading of books is good. The reading of the Bible, it's much better. Let's hear the word of God. Psalm 49, verse 1. Hear this, all ye people. Give ear, all ye inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak of wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall be of understanding. I will incline mine ear to a parable. I will open my dark saying upon the harp. Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil when the iniquity of my heels shall compass me about? They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious and it ceases forever that he should still live forever and not see corruption. For he seeth that wise men die, likewise the fool and the British person perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man being an honor abideth not. He is like the beasts that perish. This their way is their folly. Yet their posterity approve their sayings. Selah. Like sheep they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them. And the upright shall have dominion over them in the morning. And their beauty shall consume in the grave from their dwelling. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Selah, be not thou afraid when one is made rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dieth, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. Though while he lived, he blessed his soul. And men will praise thee when thou doest well to thyself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see light. Man that is in honor and understandeth not is like the beasts that perish. Amen. And the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now my text tonight is found in Psalm 49 verses 14 and 15. And my theme this evening I've entitled Lessons from the Power of the Grave. Listen to verse 15. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me, Selah. 
Now, when I'm away on holiday or on a two or three day break, one of the places that I love to visit in any new city or town is the local cemetery or the local graveyard. Now, I admit that it's not the most obvious place that you would think of visiting. One of the most famous graveyards I ever visited is known as Grey Friars Kirkyard. It's a famous graveyard in Grey Friars Kirk in Scotland. It's located at the uh, southern edge of the old town. It's near uh, George Harriet's school. And burials have been taking place there since the 16th century. And many noble people are interred there. And one of the most notable is a lady called Jenny Geddes, who threw the stool at an individual in Greyfriars Cathedral. And that was the spark that started the Great Reformation. For she shouted at the preacher, you'll not say the mass in my lug. I've also visited St. Giles' Cathedral in Edinburgh and stood before the grave of the famous uh, reformer called John Knox. Now, when I was in London, I made it to Burnhill Fields Cemetery. That's in the London borough of Islington. And unlike other denominational cemeteries in London, Burnhill Field accepted anyone as long as they could afford the uh, fee. It was a popular resting place for the nonconformists, and there's a Quaker section there, 12,000 residents. Daniel Befoe, the author of uh, uh, Robinson Crusoe, is buried there. Also is the tomb of the famous author of Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan, the Reverend John Bunyan. And the tomb is above ground, and in the side of the tomb you've got the... Um, image of a man clinging to the cross with the burden released from his back rolling down a hill and it's a very ornate uh, burying place there's other famous cemeteries in London Highgate Brompton Park Kendall Green Cemetery it's in the Royal Borough of Kensington and Chelsea one of the oldest covers 72 acres uh, 65,000 graves did you know that the news agent W.H. Smith is buried there Charles Haddon Spurgeon is buried in West Norwood Cemetery in London. And the tomb is, of course, visited again by many admirers. You could also visit the Belfast City Cemetery. You could discover ten of the most famous people buried there, including, of course, Edward Harland, the uh, famous uh, founder of Harland and Wolf Shipyard in Belfast. You could also visit the grave of the late Dr. Paisley in Ballygayan. I often visit when I'm down at, at Acton Parish the grave of my late mother-in-law, uh, Molly Lickett. And recently we've had the death and burial of uh, John Wesley Irvine. He was laid to rest in Ballycairn uh, Presbyterian Graveyard. I was also thinking of the passing of Charlie Gill and visiting in the Cross Guard Graveyard and on that occasion, the Reverend Dean emphasized the word grave. In fact, he repeated it over and over and over again. And the word grave was in my mind. And at times I get phone calls about graves, and I have to contact Mr. Brian Hanna out of Ballygayan. Did you know that the word grave is found in the Bible 142 times? The first is Genesis 35 and 20. It mentions Rachel's grave. 
And you could visit Rachel's tomb or Rachel's grave in, in the city of Hebron in the land of Israel. And we visited it the last time that we were there. The last reference is Revelation 11 and 9. You've got to think of the body of the two witnesses, believed to be Enoch and Elijah. A refusal by Antichrist to have them buried in a grave. And in between these references, you've got many fine references about the grave. And I discovered this. The Bible has lots to say about the grave. And here in Psalm 49, if you look at our text, verses 14 and 15, and count the words graves, it mentions it three times. And you see, in the context of Psalm 49, the psalmist is arguing there's the absolute futility of living for this world's possessions, living to make a name for yourself, living to get loads of fame in light of eternity, in light of the certainty of death, in light of the reality of a life beyond the grave. Because one day we will die. One day we will feel the pull and power of the grave. Therefore, our focus should not be in riches, should not be in fame in this life, but our focus should be in having a right relationship with God. Notice the psalmist's testimony about the power of redemption. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me, Selah. And the word Selah means, think about that. You see, Psalm 49, verse 15, is rightly a word of personal testimony by the psalmist. A word of great assurance. No ifs, no buts, no maybes. But God shall redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive my selah. When I read through Psalm 49, there's four sections. There's the psalmist's call, verses 1 to 4. He's calling to all people everywhere throughout the world. Regardless of culture, regardless of station in life, everyone should hear that call. All people, Jews and Gentiles alike. And then there's the Psalmist Council, 49, verses 5 through to 12. We shouldn't fret. We shouldn't feel threatened by those who trust in their wealth. Those who give names to their houses and those who name lands after themselves in the hope of what? In the hope of immortality. It's not real immortality. Can their wealth redeem them from the power of death? Think of the psalmist's contrast, verses 13 through to 15. He sees the foolish ignore God, sees the foolish no knowledge of God, sees the foolish reject this eternal God who is thy refuge. He sees the foolish living for themselves and for sin, trusting in their wealth. And in contrast, he sees another people. They're the faithful ones on the earth, the godly ones. They look to the Lord to redeem them, to, to, to resurrect their bodies, to, to receive them in due time. And then you've got the psalmist's conclusion. Verses 16 through to 20. Don't fear. Don't fret. Even though the wealthy increase and they have great wealth and great status, one day they'll die. And they'll die like all the animals. 
And the question of questions is this. Where will their soul be? What hope do they have beyond the grave? Man that is an honor, he said, and understandeth not. He's like the beast that perish. That's his conclusion. Now, I want us just to think tonight of lessons from the power of the grave. So we're only focusing in on verses, 13, verses 14 and 15 tonight. There are three simple things that come to mind as I think of the lessons of the power of the grave. One, the power of the grave's appetite. If you look at our text, it said, but God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. Now we'll pause there. If you have a margin in your Bible, you'll discover that the word power there is the reference to the word hand. And if you look again at the margin, the word grave is the word for hell. Now, I want you to think of a hand reaching, grasping out from the grave laying hold of you as as if it wanted to pull you in and if you were visiting a cemetery and standing at a tomb or a, a grave that was sealed and a hand reached out of it you would be like me you would scarber to the farther end of that graveyard but that's the picture one of the things in life that's never satisfied Solomon said is the grave Proverbs 30, verses 15 and 16. Listen to the word of God. Proverbs 30, verses 15 and 16. He says this. The horse leads have two daughters, crying, give, give. There are three things that are never satisfied. Yea, four things say not, it is enough. Here's the first one, the grave. The second is the barren womb. The third is the earth that is not filled with water. The fourth, and the fire that saith not. It is enough. The grave is one of those things that's never satisfied. The grave says, give, give. The grave will never say, it is enough. Solomon also said in Proverbs 27 and 20, hell and destruction are never full. Do you think of the power of the grave reaching out to lay hold upon the next victim? And I'm amazed when I'm back in Blairus Cemetery or the New Cemetery or, or over in Ballygowan. And I, I go in there maybe after a month or two months or more and I see a lot of other new graves that are being added. You see, there's proof. The power of the grave's appetite. It never says enough. It is never satisfied. It's reaching out and grasping for more. If I could apply this, think of the child's death. I could take you tonight to the home of the king, King David. There was a child there born to David and Bathsheba. The wee child only lived for seven days. The child died with no name given for the child in the Bible. You see, children were only named in Israel when they were eight days old after the Jewish rite of circumcision it was then after that rite they were officially named but in 2nd Samuel chapter 12 verse 18 when this wee child dies and David's told he's got it and the only comfort David has is this he cannot come to me 
but I will go to be with him. Whenever a mother gives birth to a little one, it's an occasion for joy. It's an hour of delight. And you think of the happiness of that home that's plunged into horror when the cruel hand of death reaches forth and lays its hand on that child and pulls it toward the grave. I feel for those who have women who have undergone the experience of having a stillbirth or a child that's been born and alive for a few days or maybe a few weeks or for an infant that dies between the age of one and four or or the death of a child between say the age of five and nine what about the death of those who reach the age of understanding Jairus's daughter was 12 when she died and in the child's death the only comfort that David could say was this I shall go to him he shall not return to me in other words he can't come back but I can go to be with him. where was David going Psalm 23 verse 6 surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever Could you think of a little grave being dug in some cemetery and the family carrying the little white coffin and lowering that little white coffin into the ground and then there's a thrud of the soil. See, see, death is no respecter of persons. It has no regard for age. It, it, It has no regard for the quality of life. I remember the story of the late Tommy Sharkey, who's now in heaven. He was a great faith mission pilgrim. He'd been to a home he'd visited often. He was away on holiday and he'd come back into the home and he immediately just came in through the door. The door was open and he looked into this pram and there was no baby. He thought the baby was in the arms of mummy, maybe getting a bath. And he waited a while and then the mummy appeared and she sat down and started to cry. And Tommy said to her, Where's the baby? Was a disabled baby. Perhaps it was Down syndrome. Didn't matter, it was a special child. It was a beautiful baby. And she said, God has took my baby, Tommy. Why did God take my baby? And he sat and he wept. And he prayed with her. And he said, perhaps God has took your infant home to heaven. So that you will follow that child there. And he used the children in heaven and he appealed to that unconverted mother to trust Christ and not be forever divided in death. And glory to God, he had the joy that afternoon of leading that young mother to saving faith in Christ. The child's death. What about the youth's death? Doesn't the Bible mention young men that died? Think of the young man in the coffin in the city of Nain. The widow's son? What about the young man called Absalom? David's son? Absalom's life ended tragically. Remember he had rebelled against his father? Remember how he was out in the woods in Ephraim and his hair caught in the branches of the oak because he was full of pride and he loved his hair? And he was slain there? And his body was buried in a pit in the woods of Ephraim? Imagine, there's the grave of the king's son. In a pit in the woods of Ephraim, David wept and wailed. Do you know, I don't believe David was ever the same. 
I believe David went to the grave with a broken heart because his question was when he, he informed about Absalom was this, is the young man safe? That's all he was worried about. And when he was told he's dead, oh, he, he, he was horrified. He was broken. Is the young man safe? Should not be the question on us who are parents. Is our young people ready for the day of death? Are they saved? Are they redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? You see, we sing safe in the arms of Jesus, but are they? I have to confess, I think often of the Arnold family. I think of Phyllis in Hartford, the death of Matthew over two years ago. That young man, of course, adopted this slogan, live as if you're going to live forever, but live every day as if it's your last. Little did he know that in April past there, just over two years ago, he would be called in the corner from the crossroads to go to be with Christ. The young people die. What about the mother's death? Genesis 35 and 20, Rachel. What about the father's death? Over there in the book of Job, in Job uh, chapter 5, and we read this in the verse Uh, 26, listen to the word of God. Thou shalt come to thy grave in a full age, like as a shock of corn cometh in his season. Who's the oldest person alive? I'm led to believe it's a woman called Grace Catherine Jones, who was born in 1906. But she'll soon leave this world. Maybe you're listening to me now and you're 70 or maybe 80. We have to tell you respectively the sunset years have come. You're in the autumn and winter of your life. Your little day that God has given you will come to a close. And what about the rich man's death and the poor man's death? And, and, and we could say the old man's death. What about the king's death? We read about that, the death of the king of Babylon in Isaiah 14 and verse 9. The king is dead. Why? Because the hand of the grave is pulled for him to come. There's the power of grave's appetite. But think of the power of the grave's activity. I've told you here that the word for grave in Psalm 49 is the Hebrew word sheol, which actually means hell, the abode of dead souls. You you, you think of the hand of hell reaching out to lay hold upon individuals, pulling you, saying, come to me, come come with me. You see, hell in the grave is not passive. Hell in the grave is active. They're not satisfied. They're never full. They have room for more. And the question facing you tonight is this, who or what is your hope in? In the context, these people that, the psalmist was referring to had their hope in riches, their hope in their physical beauty, their hope in their honors in this life. They had named lands after them. They had named houses after them. They'd given themselves titles. But David says, you're acting very foolishly. You're, you're not wise because you don't, you know that one day you'll die like the beast of the field. You're not going to be alive forever. Look at verse 14. Like sheep, they are led in the grave. Death shall feed on them. 
and the upright shall have dominion over them in the morning, and their beauty shall consume in the grave from their dwelling. Isn't that vivid imagery? Death, the grave, hell is acting like a false shepherd, shepherding them like cattle to the day of their death. So that hell's grip will be final on them. So it can feed in their corpses, consume their beauty, and laugh at their riches. Because what can their money buy? Oh, it can buy them power. It could buy them prominence. It could buy them prestige and a position. But it will not buy them a place in heaven. It will not keep them alive on the earth one day longer than their appointed time. There's many famous fools. They take steps to preserve their name and their fame. Think of those that have airports named after them, cities named after them, roads named after them. What is it? It's a human grasp at a strange form of immortality, which is not true biblical immortality. Alexander the Great was speaking very friendly to a certain Greek philosopher. Um, He asked that philosopher, ask anything what you will and I will give it to you. This is what he asked for. Give me the least part of immortality. Alexander the Great told him, that's not in my gift to bestow. And the philosopher Diophrys said, well, why are you conquering kingdom after kingdom? Why are you accumulating great wealth? What does it profit If it doesn't bring you immortality, not even in part. You see, it's not a good question. Young man, young woman, don't make an idol of wealth. Don't make an idol of your riches. Because it can't give you life. It can't keep you alive beyond your appointed time. It can't buy you a place in heaven. But it can leave you lost. It can leave you in the grasp of hell's power. Someone has rightly said, death laughs at bags of gold. Imagine that. Here's bags of gold to live a day longer. And death laughs at that. If I go back to the question, who or what is your hope in? Think of David's testimony. But God shall redeem my soul from the power of the grave. You see, when the body dies, the soul leaves the body. That's what death is, it's the giving up of the ghost. 19 times it refers to that in the authorized version, what death is. It's the separation of the soul from the body. The body's placed in the casket, casket lowered into the ground. You get six feet by three feet, maybe by eight by 12 feet depth. The soul either in Christ goes into God's presence or the soul without Christ goes into God's hell. Sheol, the abode of the dead. But that's not the end. Because one day that body will be raised again, whether in a watery grave, a fiery grave, an earthly grave, even an acid grave now. God will bring that body together. He'll bring the body back to life, decayed, dismembered, dispersed. But that body that's sown in corruption shall be raised in corruption. Body sown in dishonor will be raised in honor. Body sown in weakness will be raised in power and strength. Body sown naturally will be raised spiritually. And God will reunite the body and soul at the resurrection. That's what the Lord Jesus taught there in John chapter 5. 
Listen to the word of God, John chapter 5 and verse 25 and 26. The Lord Jesus said in his teaching, listen to these words. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. And as the Father have life in himself, so have they given to the Son to have life in himself. Verse 29, and shall come forth they that have done good to the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Could you imagine standing before God at the resurrection of damnation? And the great white throne judgment. See, the power of death, active. It's activated. It's not passive. It's already actively at work. One final thing. The power of the grave abolished. How? Here's the answer. The testimony of David. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. Three things here. Three truths. The price of redemption. The word redeem here means paying a price. And once the price is paid, there's a transfer of ownership. Whether in those days it was a person or a house or a land, in our day it might be a car. It also means the, the, the power and right to redeem. And he tells us, God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. What a testimony. Think of the children of Israel redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. By the power of redemption. Because of the power of the one who redeemed them. And, and in those times, those that were redeemed from Egypt by the power of the blood, they became the Lord's, the Lord's people. The Lord says, I own you. I have the right now, having redeemed you. And that redemption, of course, involves a release. I release you from the hand of death. I release you from the power that's holding on to you to pull you down to the grave, that, that iron fast grip to pull you to hell. I release you from that because I've paid a price for you. I have the power and right to redeem, so therefore I release you. I set you free. Isn't it wonderful tonight that we read in First Peter in chapter 1 and verse 18 these particular words, for as much as you know that you're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as the lamb without blemish and without spot. The preciousness of redemption. It's big enough to cover all our sins, to, to give to us the remission of our sins. It's included in redemption, the power of remission. The grave has a power over the ungodly. It's got a hold on them. They're without honor and without beauty and without riches in the grave. But there's such a thing as the need of redemption. Are you in need of redemption tonight? Do you realize that you're a sinner, a guilty, hell-deserving sinner, a, a, a defiled sinner? A sinner that has enemies at your heels, like, like, like sin biting at you and clinging to you, leaving you defiled in your walk. Think of the nature of redemption. On the basis of this ransom price, God has the right and power to redeem and release. Eternal life, life in Christ, on the basis of the ransom price offered. That brings true immortality. 
Do you know that one time Napoleon Bonaparte was being witnessed to by an art sculpture? He talked about this immortal peace. Bonaparte said to him, how long would this peace last, sir? Maybe 500 years. And this other art sculpture, how long will it last? Maybe a thousand years, this immortal peace. And Bonaparte said, you call that immortality? Immortality's forever. So if it doesn't last forever, it's not real immortality. Not only the need of redemption and the nature of redemption, but think about the news of redemption. Only God can redeem us. Who can destroy death? Who can break its power? The answer is tonight, there's only one. Listen to what Hosea the prophet said. He says in Hosea 13 and verse 14, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repent and shall be hid from mine eyes. The psalmist said this as we finish Psalm 49 and verse 8. For the redemption of their soul is precious and it ceases forever. Do you know what that means? It ceases forever. It means that because of the precious ransom price, the death of God's dear only begotten son, God giving the best in all that he had, Think of the Calvary there. Think of the sacrifice and suffering of Christ. Think of the Son of Man who came to give us life, a ransom for many. That was a once and for all sacrifice for sin. But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Is it any wonder the Apostle Paul could uh, make the astonishing claim in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 9, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. For the redemption of their soul is precious. It ceases forever. Once it has happened, it doesn't have to be repeated. It's, it has ceased forever. It's a once and for all sacrifice. Not only the power of redemption, let me finish very quickly, the prospect of resurrection. Remember the Lord Jesus said, because I live, ye shall live also. He destroyed the power of death in the grave by his life, by his dying, by his rising again. Remember what we read in 1 John 3, uh, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Yet it doth not appear what we shall be, but we know that he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We have a glorious future. There's a wonderful day of transformation coming. The prospect of a bodily resurrection, a body like unto Jesus' body, a glorious resurrection. The Bible says, blessed are they that have their part in the first resurrection. Is that your prospect? Is that your testimony? And think of this as we finish. If we go back to our text, what about the promise of reception. He said, but God shall redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Selah. Now, I disagree with John Gill because he makes it in the past tense. It says in our text, for he shall receive me, not has received me. It's future. 
There's a future receiving. Receive me to glory. Receive me home to heaven. You see, the idea in receiving me is to to come and get the hold of me, take me out of the hand of death, and carry me home with him. Carry me out of the grave into the everlasting habitation of heaven. He, He will receive me to heaven. Every soul that has received him as Lord and Redeemer, not not into a a meaningless, miserable life, but deliver me from the hand of death. Deliver me from the hand of hell to take me to himself. There's the promise of reception. And I finish with this scripture. Remember the Lord Jesus said to comfort his disciples, and I try to comfort you who are mourning and heartbroken tonight. The Lord Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And what? And receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And you see, the Lord Jesus can save his people for those who paid the price of redemption. For those who has the prospect of a better resurrection. That gives them this promise of reception. For he shall receive me. Home to glory. Home to heaven. The idea is, he shall receive me. Have you got the hold of that? Can you grasp that tonight? Here's how the power of the grave has been abolished by these three great truths. And they're all connected to the person and work of the Lord Jesus. I leave this word with you tonight. If you need comfort, if you need help, then think of these things. Yes, the power of the grave has an appetite. Yes, the power of the grave is actively at work. But the power of the grave has been abolished. But God shall redeem my soul from the power of the grave. For he shall receive me. The psalmist says, think about that. May the Lord bless his word to your heart this evening.